Welcome to Miked Up Sports, the show that gives people in sports an unfiltered platform to share their stories. If you want to help us tell more stories, check us out at patreon.com slash television, paypal.me slash television, or on Cash App at television. Thanks for joining us and enjoy the show. Hello, everyone. Welcome to another live edition of Miked Up Sports, the show that goes in-depth with the people who build our sports community. And thanks to everyone tuning in live on Facebook. And if you're watching this on demand through our YouTube channel, we're glad you could join us there as well. My guest makes up one half of the Unfinished Business podcast. You could say she's the taller half. She stands at 6'3", 6'4". I'm not sure what the official height is. Danielle Williams, a graduate of Indiana University, an aspiring broadcaster, and is getting some experience in that field through the Unfinished Business podcast. I know she has a few other business lines that she's exploring. So wherever you end up, Danielle, I'm sure we're going to be hearing a lot about you as you transition from a playing career to a career in the real world like the rest of us. But thank you for coming on. Yeah, thank you so much for having me. Like, I appreciate it. So you've gotten some practice with the podcast as the co-host. How did that come about? I know you and Tia got to know each other at Indiana. And aren't you, Mrs. Popular? (laughs) Some people already calling you. We haven't even started. (laughs) I know. (laughs) Sorry about that. But as as I was saying, how did you become a part of this new enterprise that Tia Albert is putting together? So it actually started out um, as a blog um, and it was the unfinished business um, blog and I, um, Tia actually brought me on as an intern, um, a writer for the blog and I really enjoyed it. Um, writing is, you know, a part of journalism that I, you know, is, is a part of journalism in general, but it's a part of it that I really enjoy. Um, and so when she brought me on, um, I wrote a few pieces. Um, I wrote one about James Wiseman, um, just, you know, the recent second pick of the NBA draft. Um, I wrote a piece about um, Pat Summit and her being just kind of the one of the most legendary basketball coaches. So a lot of the pieces I wrote were centered around college basketball um, and focused on that. So that is how it originally started. And then um, Tia does live here in the DFW um, as, as well as I, I do. So she actually just asked one day, was just, hey, like, I'm, I'm really thinking about starting a podcast. And, you know, obviously with your background, I just was wondering if you'd be interested in being my co-host. And I mean, it was like a no brainer. I didn't even have to think about it. I was like, absolutely. Um, and so our first episode, of course, you know, you had to get, you know, some of the kinks out and Tia was doing it all her own, you know, as far as the production, the, the microphone, the sound, the camera, um, everything like that was mostly done by her. And so it did take some time and we had, you know, some trial and errors and stuff like that. But, um, you know, it was, it was, it's always been centered around, you know, the idea of college athletics and and the athletes and the student athlete, most importantly. So, um, yeah, it's, it's definitely Tia's baby and she, you know, brought, brought me into it and, you know, it's kind of half my baby now as well. So, (laughs) um, it's, it, it's a really exciting um, project that we get to work on. And, you know, especially with us playing together at IU and then here we are, you know, three, four years later, 
um, you know, still still keeping in touch, obviously still working together is, is pretty cool, I think. I've been watching the episodes and seeing how quickly you have evolved the podcast. So, and I would send notes to Tia because I met her when she was a high school athlete at Tartan. You might remember, she might've dropped something about her breaking uh, school and state records for most points of the season or one of over a dozen now, but she scored over 3000. So it was hard not to know who she was. And she and I just kept in touch as she continued at Marquette then Indiana. But I told you this, when we got to know each other, the most amusing aspect I find with that podcast is the two hosts, Tia is five, five and a half, as she puts it, you're six, four. So that provides an amusing contrast for a basketball fan like me. But what I enjoy most is listening to two women talk about sports. Not that you needed to convince me that women belong in sports professions, but it's clear the two of you are passionate about it. Basketball, football, even if your NFL allegiances cause some rifts. I think you're a Cowboys fan. She's an Eagles fan. <laughs> but the two of you... <laughs> have come together and who knows what will happen. This podcast could last maybe a few months. It could be the start of something big, but I could tell right away you have chemistry. You get along real well. How do you think that chemistry has manifested from your time as basketball teammates to this podcast? Absolutely. Um, that's a really good question. We actually, and we were also roommates um, at IU as well. So, um, you know, our we were definitely closer than you know just teammates um and as you mentioned she's five five and i'm um six six four six five so um with her you know being my point guard and i'm you know her post player there's there's kind of that automatic just bond um and i, I you know i maybe compare it to um you know a, a quarterback and and his running back or you know maybe a quarterback and his lineman or, or something like that so um we always, it was always one of those situations where we kind of, she kind of looked out for me in a sense of if we were on the court together, you know, she'd make sure, okay, yeah, I, I got to feed Danny the ball on the block because, you know, she's like, I'm, I'm going to give her that love today or whatever, whatever this case was. So um, we definitely had that bond on the court and then off the court as well. I mean, we were really good friends, um, roommates, like I said. So with that transitioning over to our podcast, I mean, there, it wasn't like we had to get to know each other or, you know, get comfortable or get acquainted. I mean, it was just like, to me, it's like, I'm just talking to, you know, my friend, but, you know, we have a microphone in front of us and we were talking about sports, but um, it's super comfortable. And I, I think that's the part that I love the most is that it didn't, there wasn't that transitional phase of me having to get comfortable and, you know, me having to break the, break the nerves or break the ice or anything like that. It was just, it was it's very, and every time we do, we do an episode, I mean, it's very plainly just, you know, it feels like two friends just having a conversation, except, you know, it's, it's officially a podcast. So, um, yeah, I think, I think just that, that genuine like friendship and relationship that we had definitely just, I mean, just easily translated over to us being, you know, really good co-hosts with each other on the podcast. You spoke of being roommates with Tia. I did not know that. Of course, I knew Tia came over from Marquette, so she is coming off a season where she made the Big East All-Freshman team, and it looked like she was on pace to have a stellar college career. 
it didn't pan out that way, but she still found a way to make it work. Do you remember the first time the two of you met or got to know each other? Because you had already been at Indiana before she transferred there. So you're the experienced one in terms of what the campus was like, how things worked at IU. And here comes this newcomer. What was that first meeting like? And how did you two connect so quickly? Um, I, I want to say that Tia might have been, she might have gotten on campus before I did um, with her being a transfer. She might have been there before me as a freshman coming in. Um, but when I did, I do, I do remember that our initial, you know, first meeting was just like, it was, it was almost like we already knew each other, if that makes sense. Like it wasn't like, again, it wasn't, you know, forced or, you know, awkward or anything like that. And same with Kim, um, Kim Royster is the other um, player that I came in with, with my class. And I mean, me and Kim also are still really, really good friends. And we talk almost every day, um, Tia as well. And it was actually all three of us in an apartment together. So, um, I mean, you can imagine we had, we had a really good time and it was, it was not, I wouldn't say, you know, a frat house, of course, but I mean, you know, I guess equivalent um, for us. So um, yeah, it was, it was a really good time. And again, we, our, our meeting was, was just very, um, I don't, I, I'm not sure what it was on my end or her end, but it was almost as if when we met and not just me and Tia, but also me and Kim, um, Taishi as well, Taishi Towner, when we all met, it was just this weird kind of like, pull that all of us just had towards each other and we looked out for each other from then on, then on out um we hung out together like we were once once we all kind of met we all knew like okay this was our this is who we were supposed to be you know hanging around and this was our you know our teammates that we just clicked with instantly um and so yeah I mean that I think that just instant bond kind of just resonated and it's it's still there today like I said um and, you know, we, we rarely ever talk about it. I mean, we do talk about old times, but we rarely talk about, you know, in depth, like you asked, like just our first meeting. But when I actually go back and think about it, I mean, it really was like a, you know, just, it was, it was, I, it's like almost like a scene out of a movie, if you could imagine, like we, we met and we were almost like, hey, I like you, you like me, like, okay, great. We're gonna, we're gonna really get along and, you know, it's, it's gonna work out really well. So um, yeah, it was, it was kind of one of those instances. How hard was that friendship tested when you found out that she's an Eagles fan with you being a Cowboys fan that makes oh you division God. rivals every NFL season? Yeah, um, it was definitely some nights in, in the house where I was on the couch screaming for the Cowboys. And I want to say that was Dak's second season on the Cowboys. So him and Zeke were just starting to have some success. Um, I do remember we lost to the Packers, I believe that year for the playoffs. Um, and, you know, it was a lot of the times, like you said, just an Eagles fan and a Cowboys fan. I mean, it's, it's similar to a, a Redskins fan and a Cowboys fan is we're bound to butt heads. Um, but it was always, it, we definitely always had that, that trash talk moment where we, you know, if, if my Cowboys won that week, then I was, you know, I, I'd come in the locker room or whatever it was and, you know, talk my trash and she would do the same for the Eagles. Um, and then we also had, you know, friends on the football teams that also went, you know, also had um, favorites and there weren't too many Cowboys fans, which is hard to believe because I, you know, they, they call it America's team. Um, 
but you know, I, I always repped, I always wore my, my cap with my star. Um, I had a cowboy sticker on my, on my car. My dad made sure to put one on there before I left for school because he wanted me to represent um, <laughs> being away from home. So yeah, they, we definitely, definitely had some moments where we were, you know, talking trash to each other. Danielle, you have to remember when you were at IU, that is Colts territory. Yeah, it is. It is. And it was, that's all it was, was, you know, Andrew Luck. That's all I heard um, nine times out of 10. Um, and I, I remember not really knowing too much about the Colts, except for that Peyton Manning had taken them to a Super Bowl. Um, but that was about it. That was about all I knew about the Colts. Um, but, you know, coming from the South, me being a huge Cowboys fan, I mean, that's all that mattered at that point to me. <laughs> well, I actually have a friend who grew up in the DFW area. His parents still live there. So uh, when I took a trip to cover a Lynx Wings game, we actually got to tour AT&T Stadium. I often joke that was the one stadium that didn't need naming rights because the Cowboys have that national brand recognition. But hey, if it gets you a few extra bucks, I suppose. Uh, So as football fans, how have you and Tia handled this season where both the Eagles and Cowboys are still competing for the NFC East title, but... Nobody has more than three wins. It's three, six, one, then three and seven, three and seven, three and seven. Uh, you probably have heard a boatload of NFC East jokes this year. Yeah. What is that like where you're fighting for a spot and everyone is ripping you to shreds, at least everyone who isn't a fan of those teams? Yeah, definitely. They've, 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 I've seen some pretty brutal jokes about the NFC East this season. Um, and we actually we briefly talked about it on an episode um, after Dak had his um, super unfortunate injury, and we both she's kind of I wouldn't say I'm not gonna call her a Cowboys fan because that would be an insult to her. But she oh that she, would be fighting words on the next podcast if she did. It, 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 it absolutely <laughs> would be. How dare you call me a, a Cowboys yeah. fan? <laughs> That's slander, basically, at this point to her. Um, but there was um, there was a moment where we both you know kind of just acknowledged the Cowboys and how unfortunate it was that you know this was their first season with the new coaching staff and then Dak goes down um, you know and the the season just you know didn't work out how we how we had hoped um, at least how I had hoped and like you mentioned the Eagles um, aren't doing well either so it was just one of those moments where we you know well a lot of the times we say because of COVID for everything, you know, because of COVID is just one of those things that it's like, oh, because of COVID. And so that was kind of my thing when I was, <laughs> when I saw how unfortunate it was. And, you know, of course, Dak went down, that really didn't have anything much to do with COVID, but I was just like, oh, you know, yeah, my Cowboys, oh, it's just because of COVID, you know, well, next year, <laughs> that's just kind of, <laughs> that's kind of my mantra for the moment. <laughs> They're still alive in the playoff race. They're going to need to win the division to do it, but, you know, they got to win over, uh, my team yesterday, the Vikings, but we can't really go with because of COVID. The, the Vikings, <laughs> it's been a sad history of almost, well, and then when you cover professional sports like I have, you don't really get caught up or worked up about results like that. You just go along for the ride. I remember when Blair Walsh missed that chippy field goal against Seattle a few years ago, and I just laughed, not at the Vikings, but it's like of all the ways your season comes to an end, it happens on a missed 27-yard field goal. Like, you can't make it up. Yeah. 
since you brought up the Cowboys and I remember watching that episode that led to this big discussion on mental health that Dak Prescott touched on and you and Tia weren't planning on discussing mental health with the level of detail that you did, but I think you won for a good 20 minutes on the subject. T and I talked a little bit afterward because this is something that I've come to understand more effectively with age. And as I've become more experienced at covering sports, the mental health aspect for athletes. I know you didn't get to play a whole lot in Indiana and I'm sure that weighed heavily on you getting recruited from high school, having these dreams of playing division one basketball, you accomplished the goal, you signed the, the NLI, you were going to get a scholarship. Tia coming off a fantastic freshman season at Marquette, looking for some new beginnings, but you, I think out of anyone would understand how difficult it is, especially being division one, you get more scrutiny than a D two or D three athlete. And when you win, everyone wants to be friends with you. When you're not winning, people get antsy, upset. They think of you as a bum. So what are some of the challenges, the obstacles in terms of mental health that division one athletes like yourself face? Absolutely. Um, it is unfortunately, I mean, I, I wish that, you know, the, things might have been different um but you know I'm, I'm a firm believer that it kind of molded me and made me into the, the woman that I am today so I am thankful for those experiences um however it was extremely difficult for me to make that transition from as you said being very very highly recruited out of Texas um one of the top kids out of Texas in my class um going from that to um you know hardly seeing the floor um you know, just not having that, that college career that I, you know, had dreamed of. Um, and it was extremely tough because in my, in my certain situation, I was, I just felt very alone in that sense. Um, and mostly because I, I did come in, like I said, with Kim Royster and um, Kim was an amazing basketball player. She still is. And she didn't have the same sort of transitional kind of hiccups that I did. Um, she, her game and her conditioning and everything translated extremely well to college. And so it, it didn't, it took her maybe a few weeks versus me, it took me months to, you know, to really um, get used to that transition. And, you know, with, with Kim, like I said, making that transition so easily and, you know, I was still struggling and I, with, they were, we were the only two freshmen. So if we're the only two freshmen and, and the, um, the other freshman that I came in with is, is, you know, doing well. And then, you know, it's kind of me by myself still on, on my little struggle bus. I was like, okay, you know, you know, I'm, I'm kind of, you know, battling through this by myself, but you know, I got to push through and, you know, I'm here for a reason, you know, I, they brought me here for a reason. I'm talented. I know that I just kind of have to push through. Um, so being alone in that sense, and then also being alone in the sense that I didn't necessarily have that, support back home that um I would have liked at that point of time I would say because um I mean my dad was very supportive basketball wise but when I you know would call him and tell him yeah you know I'm, I'm upset or this happened at practice or you know I'm, I'm tired of sitting on the bench whatever the case was a lot of the times his response was um I would say not what I would have liked to hear. Um, a lot of the times he would, you know, he wanted me to be successful and he wanted me to play basketball. And he also didn't want me to quit. Um, he wanted, you know, kind of to, he wanted me to please 
you know, kind of the coaches, so I would be able to play. And so therefore when, you know, when we had those conversations, it wasn't, um, you know, there, there was support, but it was more so, you know, you just have to push through, just keep pushing through. And I was at a point where I, I couldn't anymore. I couldn't push through anymore. It was, it was terrible. It was, it was like a nightmare having to get up and leave my dorm room every day. Um, so when I got to that point, that's when I really realized that I was, you know, severely battling depression, um, you know, due to basketball. And it was just, for me, it was so surreal because basketball my entire life had been something that, you know, was my escape and was something that brought me, you know, immense joy. And so from going from that to being something that I dreaded and I, you know, I would, I would have like little mini panic attacks about having to go to practice. Um, I knew at that moment that that was, you know, something that not only that was, that was hard, but I, I, I imagine that I couldn't have been the only person that had ever experienced that or that it was experiencing it. And again, as athletes, we're so used to just pushing through and pushing through and just fight and, you know, you know, it's fine. You got it. And I'm super, I'm super thankful for that mindset and, and for that grit inside of myself, because I mean, I'll, I'll have it forever, but at the same time, you know, a lot of times it shouldn't be something that you should, should push through and it shouldn't be something that you should just continuously say, Oh, well, it's fine. You know, just push through or, it's okay, you know, we're here for you or whatever the case may be. So, um, you know, as, as not just student athletes, but athletes in general, I mean, you know, being in between those four lines, whether it be a field, a court or, or whatever, it's, it's, you know, what, that might be your escape in that moment, but, you know, there are a lot of factors outside of it that, that could make that experience, you know, either good or bad. It, you know, it could depend on you as a, as a player. It could depend on your coaches. It can depend on, you know, you being injured or not. Um, there's a lot. And, and it was, it was, if I, if I have to be completely blatantly honest, it was the most, it, it, it molded me the most out of every experience that I've had in, in, in my 23 years. I mean, I'm not like 50, so I don't have just like a million stories to tell, but I mean, up and up to date, I mean, it, it was definitely, the most, you know, kind of molding experience for me. And again, like I said, I'm thankful for it. I don't, I don't regret anything. Um, but I, I am thankful that I had those experiences because now, you know, when I am faced with adversity or when things don't necessarily go my way, um, you know, just in life. And I mean, it's life, every, everybody, you know, has stuff that they go through and everything is not always, you know, peaches and cream. But when I have those moments, it's a lot it's a lot less hard for me to push through. Like I said, it's a lot less hard for me to have that positive outlook because, you know, I, I, I went through that storm pretty much alone and I got myself out of that storm pretty much alone as a student athlete. So um, I would definitely say just mental health in general. I, I am super passionate about it mainly because I, like I said, I dealt with it firsthand and I can imagine that I'm not the only kid who moved across the country to go play basketball and the situation didn't turn out how well I planned. And, you know, so, um, yeah, that's kind of my, you know, summary of that. Well, for someone who doesn't have a million stories yet, it sounds like you're close, maybe 900,000. <laughs> <laughs> but it sounds like you and Tia will follow up on this on a future podcast. And Tia, I know, can speak to the same experience 
playing at three schools. I remember she came on and we talked a lot about what led her to Indiana, why that didn't work out. Trying again at Fresno State, then deciding, you know what, maybe it's time to do something else. And that isn't easy. And then adding a degree of surrealism to all of this, you and Tia brought this up in that podcast. You had to play Northwestern in their first game following the death of Jordan Haskins by suicide. It maybe I don't know how it registered for you because you're the visitors, but telling me what you went through, and I imagine several athletes, whether they are the stars in their team or their conference or someone in your position, whether you are playing a bench role most of the time, or if you have that starting assignments, professional aspirations, and then maybe an injury or some other major event that happens that you don't see coming. It can mess with you. What do you remember from that game? I imagine you all heard about it. What do you recall from that sequence of events? Um, I, I recall that we had a film session and they kind of, you know, we, we, we were all in the film room and they kind of just b- talked to us about it very briefly. Um, it was just kind of like, you know, this happened and, um, you know, when we play them, they, they might have some sort of memorial or um, some, some, some sort of way to honor her. Um, and they also, I believe, had um, patches with her number on it. Um, and it was, I just remember it being very heavy, especially for us being, because they, they were scheduled to play another team, but they ended up um, canceling that game. And so we were their next game back after that happened. And like I said, I just remember it being very heavy. I remember it being just, you know, it was, it was so heavy and so kind of just surreal because at the end of the day, that could have been one of our teammates. And it was just, it, it, it broke my heart because it was just, like I said, it was, it was almost like, you know, you, you never know what someone's going through, you know, we're, as far as her personal life, of course, I have no idea what she was going through, but in the sense that we were both student athletes, we were both in the Big Ten, we both played women's basketball, like, you know, a lot of our lives were probably a lot, a pretty, pretty similar. And so just knowing that she was battling whatever it was she was battling and, and it came to that for her, it was, it was heartbreaking. And um, it was just, it was, again, it was one of those moments where it was, it was real. And um it was, it was, it was a really, it was actually a really good game. I, I remember they, Northwestern, that was probably one of their best games that they had played us. Um, Northwestern, we normally, we normally beat up on pretty, pretty well. I mean, it was maybe like a 10, 15 point win every time we played them and, and we lost that game. Um, and I recall, you know, like I said, they wanted to honor her and kind of um, memorialize her at the end of the game. And there was kind of a tiff between my teammates of, well, do we stay on the floor and honor her with them or do we leave and let them have their moment because we don't even know her and i still to this day i truly don't know which where i would stand with that i mean that that's extremely conflicting because you know we did we didn't know her and so that was their moment to have um but also you know it is you know something that we kind of wanted to respect and and you know um remember her as well so um 
I just remember, like I said, it was just, it was just a really heavy moment. And um, looking back, I just, I, I do remember, um, you know, we, we had a sports psychologist and we had, we definitely had those resources. Um, it wasn't something that wasn't necessarily there, um, you know, as far as the access and, and, you know, someone deciding, hey, I need to go talk to someone, you know, that's, that's a lot easier said than done a lot, you know, a lot of times, but um, I am extremely glad that now I feel like it is more of a um, normalized conversation. And I think it's important. I think it's extremely important to normalize, you know, we talk, we, we play basketball, we physically, you know, put our bodies to the, to the test every single day. So who's to say that our brain isn't, you know, being stretched just as much as our bodies, you know, and I, I'm a firm believer in that. And I'm a firm believer in sports psychologists make a difference, especially on the college and, and professional levels. Um, and I mean, honestly, there's even kids in high school who, you know, are battling things, you know, with their home lives and stuff like that. So um, just in general, I mean, in, in athletics, but just like in, in overall, um, just society, I, I'm, I, I feel like mental health is something that it, it is becoming a lot more normalized. And, you know, people feel that as athletes, we're just these big, strong, macho characters. And, you know, we don't really have this, this internal shell, which we do. And it's, you know, it's, it, everybody has, you know, like I said, stuff and demons that they fight. And, you know, depending on how, how you, you know, cope with it, a lot of athletes, they, they we cope with it through basketball, football, whatever it is. And that's why, you know, maybe those talents are, are so good as they are. So um, yeah, mental health is definitely something I'm passionate about, especially within athletics for that reason. And here you are talking about your own battles with depression. I don't know what you were experiencing, you know, the moment you found out or the moment you learned that you'd have to play Northwestern after, you know, probably one of their worst moments for those players, uh, for those who were survivors of losing a friend to suicide, if you know what I mean. Right. And you're saying that could have been one of us. I don't know what your battles were like, but I have to imagine to some degree it was personal because you, know, you were going through, I imagine some of the same things that Jordan was, you, know, you were able to find a way to adapt, embrace and, work through it she couldn't unfortunately but that still is harrowing at least for me it, that would be scary to think well this happened and who knows what could have happened to me looking back on it what do you make of everything yeah it, it made it very real um is what i would say um it just made it very you know, it, it brought it into perspective that, you know, like I said, that that could have been one of us. And um, I, I'll never forget, um, I believe it was my freshman year, we did kind of like a team bonding, team building activity. Um, and it was it was with, I, I don't think he was a sports psychologist per se, but he was, he was in that same realm. And uh, pretty much every team at IU um, did this activity with him and, for some teams, they got super, super, super deep and personal and, you know, personal and deep. And then for some teams, it was just very blanket, you know, one dimensional team bonding stuff. Um, but 
the year that we did it, um, it was actually my sophomore year, the year we did it, it, it got personal to the point where we did, you know, talk about, um, you know, our depression and our mental health issues that we were having. And um, like I said, it just, it broke my heart that so many of us were dealing with it and not knowing it. And we all, so many of us were getting up and walking in the locker room every day and sitting down and putting on our shoes next to each other, not knowing that, you know, the person next to me is, you know, is, is, is battling, you know? And, and um, it was, it was just one of those things that, you know, I, I look back and I think on, you know, kind of where I was at mentally and where a few of my teammates were mentally. And, you know, I think that, you know, a lot of the issues that I dealt with yeah, I wouldn't. I wouldn't necessarily attribute to, to playing time, but just my entire experience. But then, you know, you look at players that weren't playing 30, 40 minutes a game that were still dealing with those same demons, and so you, you consider that, and, and it's not necessarily just about playing time or about, you know, um, FaceTime or or whatever the case may be. A lot of people think, oh, well, you're not playing, and that's why you're depressed, or you know, you're on the bench, and that's why you, you know, you hate it here. It, it, it goes much deeper than that because there are players who play the entire game that are still, you know what I mean, dealing with these same demons. So, like I said, it made it real. You would never have any, no idea what anyone's going through. And that's one of my biggest things that I try to just live by is that, I mean, be, being kind to people, it doesn't, it doesn't expend any energy. It doesn't hurt. It doesn't, you know what I mean? It's not, it, uh, to me, it takes more energy out of me to be mean to someone than it does to be kind. And so that's, I mean, that's one of my biggest things is just, you never know what anyone's going through. So what, so choose kindness always. That, that should be your initial, you know, it, that should be, that should be how you are initially in any interaction with someone is, is kindness, you know? And, and that's, you know, that's, that sounds so simple and so small and, oh, just be kind to people and, you know, whatever. But I mean, the, you, you would be surprised how, you know, you could make, you know, the, the bagger at the grocery store, how you can make their day by just simply being kind and having a five minute conversation with them while they're bagging your groceries, you know, that might've made their day. That might've been the thing that, you know, really just brightened their day and brightened their week. And then, you know, from there on, you know, you never know what, what you know, what kind of lines up with people's lives. So that's, is is one of those things that I definitely try to live by um, is, as far as just, you know, just being kind to people and, taking that into consideration that you never know what people are going through. And it's something that I've reflected on in my high uh, high school. Well, yes, high school coverage and sports coverage in general. I cover a lot of high school games, still do, and still plan to whenever it's safe to have games again in the state of Minnesota. We're on pause right now, but I remember a star athlete at one school who skipped her entire junior season because she was battling depression and some other mental health issues that she needed to get control of. And she was arguably the star athlete of her team, won a state championship and going into what would have been her junior season. I thought, Oh, I can't wait to see what she does or how she grows because she was this all around athlete. And then uh, all of a sudden I hear she's not playing. And then it was explained to me, this is why I'm like, Oh, okay. Well, I'll give her the space she needs. Another friend of mine played division one at Providence. She came on my podcast and she's been more open about discussing her own mental health struggles. And there were a couple of moments where she was ready to end it and prayed through it. That's what helped her 
get through it and she's doing well now. So there are a lot of strategies and a lot of moments. And I think what people are starting to understand, you touched on this, it's rarely just one event. It's usually a series of events that don't even have to be tied to basketball or playing time. Because as you were saying, you couldn't be the star athlete and still go through problems. Dak Prescott <laughs> comes to mind there. We talk about him how often on the sports centers and other talk shows of the world. Right. So it's a reminder. And this is something I've stressed doing these podcasts, having these athletes past and present come on and something I wish I could have gone back and been more thoughtful of when I was more of a fan than a reporter. Yes. I'm sure you would love it. If you got to make big 10 player of the year, or if you got to go to the tournaments and all of that, but you're more than just athletes. You're not robots that are out there to entertain us. You know, these are real people with real stories, real struggles. You really aren't all that different from the rest of us. You just have more of a spotlight and sometimes that can wear on you. And I think these stories and you and Tia discussing this almost ad nauseum on your podcast illustrates how important it is that we remember folks like yourself are still human. Yeah, exactly. That's, 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 that's what it boils down to is that, you know, no one, no one man's struggle is, you know, worse or less than the next, I think. And, um, you know, like you said, we're, we're all human beings at the end of the day. Everyone has what has stuff that they go through. And just cause I'm an athlete and, or just because Dak Prescott is a millionaire and, and plays professional football doesn't mean that his, you know, his, his mental struggles are, are lessened because he has money and he has status and everything like that. No, he still battles, you know, he just has, you know, three, four commas in his bank account. And I don't, that's just the difference. Like, <laughs> I mean, that's just, you know, that's just kind of how I look at it. So, um, yeah, like I said, I, I think it's, it's kind of, it, we're seeing, we're starting to see a shift from it being something that people don't talk about and it's super hush. And, you know, it's one of those things to now it's, it's a lot more normalized and, you know, that's, that's, to me, that's a, a great thing. And that's a, a good shift that's happening. Now, this is an oral history podcast. And I wanted to touch base on this as well. You attended North Crowley, if I pronounced that correctly, in high mm -hmm. school. What was your first memory with basketball? What do you remember that first got you into the sport? Um, this is kind of a funny story. Um, <laughs> I actually played volleyball my freshman year as well as basketball. And of course, volleyball season is before basketball season. And I made the JV uh, volleyball team my freshman year. And I remember, you know, I was a freshman and so all my friends were freshmen. And the first day of basketball workouts, I went with the freshmen. Like I didn't know any better. I didn't know if I was supposed to go, you know, with I wouldn't assume like, okay, I would have to go with JV or varsity or, or whichever it was. So um, at my high school, there's a high, there's a big campus where 10th through 12th graders are. And then there's a freshman campus where there's just freshmen. And, um, you know, freshmen for athletics would go to the big campus and that's where you would have um, athletics. And so, and then the freshman athletics was um, at the, at the freshman campus. And so I remember, um, it was my first day out of volleyball and I remember getting dressed and 
like walking over back, walking back over to the freshman campus because, you know, I didn't know I was just I didn't know where where to go, and so I walked over there and I'm I'm assuming the head coach either called the freshman coach or he called her whichever one, and when I walked in the gym he was like what are you doing here and I was like, I was like I'm it's the first day of basketball like I'm you know I'm trying out or I'm here for practice whatever and he was like. He's like, and you're, you thought you were going to be with the freshman? He was like, absolutely not. He was like, you're with the varsity team. And I was like, you know, that was just kind of his way of telling me, like, how dare you, you know, think you're going to be on the freshman team, go work out with the varsity. And so I walked back to that big campus. And I remember I walked in and my head coach at the time, Stephanie Gray, was, she was like, um, I don't know if I needed to tell you this. I, I, I hoped I didn't have to, but you're going to be on varsity. You're six five, and 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 that's that's that. There, we don't have to talk about anything else. And I was like, well, okay. Um, <laughs> and so that was kind of how um, my that was definitely my that's like one of my earliest memories um, with with basketball in North Crowley. And um, yeah, my freshman year we were pretty successful. Um, we had seven seniors my freshman year. Um, I want to say maybe three or four of them went to school. Um, and played Chelsea Jennings. Um, actually, she was she was a senior my freshman year, and she went went on and played at A and M, and um, is currently playing overseas. And so she's had a pretty good, successful basketball career. So um, definitely early on as a freshman, it was you know I didn't play a bunch. I wasn't like the super impactful freshman on my on my freshman team. It was you know. I was, I was there to, you know, kind of learn. And also because I was six, five, and that's just one of those things coaches tell me, you know, you can't teach height. So, you know, I was there for that reason. Um, and yeah, from then on out, it was, you know, it was, it was pretty much, you know, the ball was rolling after that point, um, basketball wise. This is something I've asked of players of your stature. You said six, five, Indiana lists you at six, four. Either way, you know, you're on the taller end of the spectrum. Uh, <laughs> and oftentimes a story that I get from, you know, players up here or players I've met elsewhere. The hardest thing about it is finding clothes or shoes that would fit and you know, sometimes getting those tall jokes. So what was that like for you growing up? I imagine you were one of the taller figures in your family and in your basketball circles. What was that like? Yeah, definitely a struggle. Um, growing up, I mean, I was, I was always taller. Like it wasn't like I had like a crazy growth spurt. I was. My mom tells me the story of when I was in second grade, and I guess some a girl's mom or dad came up and, and asked me about like a, a student because they thought I was a teacher. Um, and that was when I was in second grade. <laughs> wow. <laughs> And they'd yeah. say not to grow up too fast. Oh my goodness, you're being compared to teachers in second grade? Second grade, um, it was it was bad. And um, I wanna say I was probably about like five, six or seven in the second grade. Um, and then I remember being about five, 10, 11 in the fifth grade. And the only reason I remember that is because I had a sign teacher, his name is Mr. Hansen. And I remember that he was 5'10 and I was, five nine um and I was in his class in fifth grade and so going into sixth grade I remember telling him I was like I'm gonna be taller than you when I come back next school year and I came back that next school year sixth grade and I was five eleven and I came back and I was like I told you like I was gonna grow and so I grew two more inches and then I was five eleven in sixth grade um 
but definitely was always super hard to find clothes that were, you know, pants that were long enough, shoes that were big enough. Um, you know, I definitely got bullied to a certain extent just, you know, for being tall and, you know, that was just, I accepted it at one point. Um, you know, I used to hate being tall. I actually really did. I hated it. And I, I'd be like, oh, well, like, why me? Like, I just, <laughs> I didn't understand, but, um, <laughs> but now that, you know, once I got older and once I started playing basketball and I got good at basketball, I loved it. And, you know, I was, I, I felt like that was, you know, that was what made me unique was being tall. I could walk in the room and, you know, people couldn't, people couldn't help but turn and stare because, you know, I'm so tall. And so, um, again, I wear a size 13 in women and it's easier now definitely the easiest it's ever been for me to find shoes especially like you know girly shoes because i wear i do wear a lot of sneakers um and you know that's fine when you know finding sneakers isn't hard but when i do you know want to you know dress up and you know wear cuter you know girlier shoes like maybe heels or something it is definitely a struggle to find them um and it, it still is um it's not it's not as bad like i said but you know it's still it's still you know i can't walk into firm 21 and buy a pair of shoes that'll never be able to happen um, so, you know, though, I think it, I think it stops at maybe a size nine, sometimes a size 10. So not even close for me. Um, but yeah, it was definitely, definitely one of those struggles, um, growing up. And like I said, still kind of a struggle. Um, it's there, are, I think there are just so many more tall women who have kind of like united together and decided, you know, Hey, you know, there are even websites that'll list like different, you know, places where you can find long pants and bigger shoes and stuff like that so it's a lot easier now and I'm thankful for it um but growing up it was it seemed like um <laughs> it definitely seemed like there was no hope for me you know when it came to wanting to wear anything that was remotely you know girly or you know cute it was like oh well I guess you can you know wear some converse converse was, were, were like my go-to growing up so <laughs> Well, one difference now is you've got a buddy in Tia. She does a lot of shoe sales, one of her side hustles. So if you are ever in need, I'm guessing she can hook you up. Absolutely. And she has. I, I bought a pair of shoes from her. Um, I want to say it was in April. Um, and I've, I've, bought, I've bought a few pair of shoes from Tia. Um, she's definitely, she, she definitely has the hookups. So if, like you said, if you ever need, she's definitely, she's the first person I call when I have a shoe question. I hope she doesn't mind that we keep bringing her up, but uh, you know, we're together because of her. So exactly, yeah, you know, no. if it wasn't for Tia, you and I never would have met. If she never went to Indiana, maybe you and I never would have met because you two never would have met. Exactly. Uh, now, as you settled on basketball, who were your idols in the sport growing up? And this could be anybody. NBA, WNBA, college, you, you take it however you want it. Who are the players you idolized who you wanted to be like? Um, so I have three that like immediately come to mind. Um, Lisa Leslie was just, I mean, for me, kind of automatic. I mean, she was one of the first women to dunk a ball. Actually, the first. I was going to say the, the first. first. The first. No, you yeah. were on the right track, and, and that was, what, in 2002, so you were a, a little younger back then. Exactly, yeah, I was only five, so it didn't, didn't really know anything. <laughs> um, I don't think you'd be expected to at that age. 
exactly. <laughs> um, so yeah, she was definitely one that just, even my dad just kind of ingrained in me that, you know, she was, you know, the, one of the greatest. And that was somebody that I looked up to. Um, I had a Sparks jersey growing up. Um, so that was definitely, um, definitely someone I looked up to. And then Stephanie Dolson was just someone for some reason for me that I loved, loved, loved and admired her game like immensely. Um, and my dad just would always just like ingrain in me that, you know, we, you know, you can play like that. You can, you know, you're physical like that. And, you know, she doesn't, he would always say like Stephanie Dolson is, was nowhere near like a flashy post player at all, but she was very, very, very solid. Like what she did, she did extremely well. And um, she could all, she also had a really nice touch and could shoot the ball. She played really good defense. She rebounded and my dad, again, was she was one of those players that my dad really, really kind of, you know, I didn't really have a choice when it came to watching Stephanie Dolson. It was it was like a film session, um, you know, when, when UConn would be playing, you know, whoever it may be, Louisville or Baylor back then. Um, so definitely Stephanie Dolson was huge for me. And then Shaquille O'Neal is my favorite basketball player ever. You know, as a post player, I, I feel like, you know, most post players, you know, pretty much idolize Shaq um, and, there, I, there's almost no need for an explanation on that one, but I mean, Shaq is the most dominant player to ever play the game of basketball, and um, just watching him dominate like that was just insane. And for me, I grew up watching a lot of those series um, with the Lakers against the Celtics, and um, you know, I remember when him and Kobe split up, and you know, and he went to the Heat, and then he was a lot, you know, he fell off, and then he just, you know, eventually retired. But um, being like thinking back and being able to recall those games, um, you know, with the Lakers and those series with the Celtics and just watching him and Kobe, you know, do what they did. It was, it was, it was definitely iconic. And now that I'm older and I think I can look back to that. It's like, you know, a lot of people, the only memory they could, or the only, only way they could call on those memories, you know, might be highlights or whatever the case may be. But like I genuinely remember sitting in front of the TV and just being amazed at what Shaq did. So, um, yeah, definitely. As Lisa Leslie, Stephanie Dolson, and Shaquille O'Neal, Shaq Diesel. <laughs> <laughs> well, Leslie and Shaq, those two I could see. Stephanie Dolson, I didn't see coming. I've interviewed her a couple of times, but you know I have to give her props because I think there were folks who were giving her a hard time because of her body type. You know, a little bigger than some other post right. players, but. She's been in the WNBA for what, five, six years now? Yeah, and that, that was a lot of the reason too why I resonated with her because, you know, I was a thicker post player and, you know, um, I wasn't, you know, one of those like super thin or, you know, super athletic post players. You know, I, I, would, I, did, I did have a bigger body. And so, you know, watching her and even when she did, you know, transform her body and lost weight and, and did stuff like that, it was, it was, I mean, of course, like she has, no idea of this but you know it, it did really inspire me and you know even my dad would be like you know you know you can tell you can see you know she's lost 10 pounds and you can see her you know moving a little easier this way or that way or whatever the case was so yeah Stephanie Dolson and um it's funny I actually met her and took a picture with her um my freshman year we played I want to say it was Chattanooga we played and um, she was at the game and I don't, I, I think she knew someone on their staff cause she had on a Chattanooga shirt and we took a picture and I was like, I kind of told her, I was like, you have no idea of this, but like, I really, really like genuinely looked up to you and kind of idolized you growing up. So like, just thank you for being you. And 
you know, it was, it was kind of good to, you know, give her her flowers and let her know that, you know, she was a huge inspiration for me. I remember Gino Oriema saying he would take a team with 10 Stephanie Dolsons on it when folks are like, is she pro material? And obviously she's proven that she has been. Do you remember what she said when you told her, Hey, I looked up to you and, and how excited or nervous you were because this was someone you watched and someone who you idolized. She was one of your heroes and now you're getting to meet her in person. Yeah, no, she definitely, she was, she was extremely sweet. Um, very sweet, very humble. She just, you know, kind of thanked me and kind of asked me about my journey and, and what was going on. It was a very brief conversation, but she was just like, you know, kind of told me, keep going, you know, um, you know, us, us thicker, bigger pulse players kind of have to stick, stick together. You know what I mean? So um, yeah, I definitely, I appreciate her for that more than she would, you know, ever know. So. And when you mentioned Kobe and Shaq, I remember you know, that dynasty run of theirs. I was in high school and I followed it for another reason because Phil Jackson was head coach of the Lakers mm -hmm. during those years. And of course I grew up watching the Bulls and Michael Jordan. And I probably wore out the tape on Space Jam when I was little, but you know, I was glad that I at least got to see the tail end of Michael's prime in his career. I still remember watching, you have memories of, I think the 2001-02 finals or at least watching it. I was like, you were pretty young when that happened, but I'll take your word for it because I know they, and they played on repeat too. And I remember the 98 finals when Jordan hit the game winner mm -hmm. to seal that sixth championship. Right. And it's uh, just cool to look back on that and when you brought up Shaq, I know you've expressed a lot of interest and actually have some experience in broadcasting through Indiana, through this podcast. And of course, that's what Shaquille O'Neal does now for TNT. And I enjoy the inside the NBA tapings that he does with Charles Barkley and Kenny Smith and Ernie Johnson, because not only are they versed and knowledgeable about the NBA, but They'll talk about anything. I was kind of bummed that this pandemic has thrown the entire sports calendar out of whack because I remember they had a pretty lengthy discussion on the election four years ago. You know they all would have said something this time around, but they're not afraid to be themselves. And when they decide to be goofy and silly, uh, as you've seen, it's, it's hilarious. And you could tell it's not fake. So they're just I, – I don't know how they make it work, but they do. And – it's just fun to see that kind of fraternity get together. Yeah, that's definitely when Shaq and Chuck, you know, go at each other, it's like top tier entertainment, honestly. <laughs> um, and like you said, I love like, you know, almost I sometimes like the halftime reports more than the actual game, depending on, you know, who's playing. But um, yeah, I love Shaq. I love his his tone and how he, you know, he also, he's always very like, you know, kind of mellow when he's explaining, you know, breaking down whatever play it might be. So um, it's, it is, it is kind of weird, you know, idolizing Shaq on the court and then now going to idolizing him, you know, in the, in the broadcast sense. I'd say that's fair. And I think one of my favorite moments was when he lost it. You might remember this when, they were making a Jetsons reference and Charles Barkley got one of the characters mixed up and he meant to say Elroy, but said Leroy and Shaq just, yeah. <laughs> he went all in on it. It's one of the first rules of improv 
what I took some theater courses, make a big deal out of everything, even screw ups. And, <laughs> and they just lost it, ran with it. And I'm like, I appreciate the crew and I appreciate people. And I imagine you and T are like this. Uh, we'll get to see more of this in the podcast that aren't afraid to have fun, aren't afraid to laugh at yourselves if you do make a mistake and just turn a little slip up into something funny and just going back to showing kindness. You know, you're not ridiculing each other and finding a way to make, to make it, to make a moment better. That's what I was getting at. Mm-hmm. Yeah, definitely. I'm, I'm one of the biggest people that you like I firmly believe in laughing stuff off like that is (laughs) that's something that I firmly believe in like if I even if it's something like if I like trip and fall down the stairs or something like if I as long as I'm not hurt I will laugh before like anyone else gets the chance to laugh at me like that's just like I just I'm I'm a firm believer in laughing stuff off and like you said like whether it be a mistake you know doing like on air doing a podcast or you know whatever whatever the case is like I'm you know laughter is is important and (laughs) um i'm i'm one of the biggest goofballs honestly so i'm i'm gonna laugh you know nine times out of ten i'm gonna laugh it off (laughs) now what do you remember from the recruiting process when you were making your way you had a solid career at north crowley and we know you settled on indiana but do you remember that first recruiting letter you got how many schools were considering you and what led you to Indiana yeah um I remember just being very heavily recruited by Texas schools initially um I remember going on like an official visit to Baylor and to Texas and to TCU a lot of those schools very early like eighth grade um and it was as a Texas kid I kind of had my like rotation of I wanted to go to TCU, TCU was my dream school. Then I wanted to go to Texas, Texas was my dream school. Then I wanted to go to Baylor, Baylor was my dream school. A&M, Texas Tech, (laughs) SMU. uh, Well, SMU is not up there compared to the others, but it's like, yeah, there's a a lot of history uh, with those schools. Yeah. But but continue, I jumped on you, sorry. You're fine. There's a, there was definitely a long list of schools that I was, you know, very, I, I was introduced to very early. Um, and then um, I remember like, you know, it was, there were a lot of schools like USC and Washington and Arkansas and Purdue was actually like a very big contender um, kind of like early slash late in the game. Um, I actually did a home visit with Purdue. Um, um, schools like LSU, SEC schools, Kentucky, um, you know, there were a lot of, there were, like I said, I was very heavily recruited um, out of Texas. And looking back, I wish I could go back to the recruitment process because I just didn't take it as seriously as I should have. Um, I was very bad at responding for some reason. Um, a lot of times coaches would, you know, text me or call me and I just, I don't know, I'm not sure what it was, if I was just kind of intimidated or overwhelmed, but a lot of the times I was just very bad at responding to people. Um, and so I wish I could go back and change that. Um, but the biggest thing that drew me to IU was the sports media program and the media school was like, that was the first year that it was, it was going to be open was the year that I went. Um, and I was sold. I like Mark Cuban, I think he, he had, he, he had either just donated money or he was just about to donate a bunch of money to the school. And, um, 
and it was specifically to the media program for the Cuban Center um, where I actually ended up interning. So um, I knew that even though I love basketball, I am at the time, I didn't think that I wanted to play professionally. And so I, all I was worried about was having a good sports media degree, being able to get a job, you know, soon after graduation. And, you know, it was, it was, you know, it was, it was a lot, it was tailored a lot to my education in that sense more than it was basketball. Um, but, and, and that's why I say I don't really make, I don't have regrets because, you know, yeah, basketball was like, of course, what got me there. But at the end of the day, my degree is what was what kind of drove me. Um, but, you know, I, I know looking back that I could have went to maybe a different school where I, I could have been successful in both senses of in the classroom, getting a really good sports media degree and being able to be really successful on the court. But, you know, I'm thankful for my degree from IU. Um, go Hoosiers. Um, you know, I know my Hoosiers are my football. My Hoosier football team is definitely making some noise right now. So, oh, yes, uh, I saw I think you and Tia were at a viewing party for IU Ohio State and yeah. they, they they did well, came up just a little bit short. But for everyone who thought they were going to get pummeled or run out of the building, it's like, hey, Indiana, you know, my, like they're it, it stinks that it's happening in the year of a pandemic because I I've noticed that we're not giving as much attention and understandably so because we're still dealing with this virus and uh, it's caused some bigger issues than sports, but still, you know, I, I can't wait to go out and do those viewing parties again. We've been laying low up here. At least I have, but I'm not going to lie. You and Tia were, were relishing the moment. Absolutely. Yeah. Um, and we, we take every opportunity we can nowadays to just represent. And, you know, we, I mean, we were there for four years and, our football team wasn't terrible. I mean, they went to, I think they were, they were bowl eligible two years of, or yeah, either two or three years um, of the years that we were there. And so um, we, you know, we didn't, we didn't get to experience, you know, a top 10, a top 20, top 25 Hoosier team. That was never a thing for us. So now, like you said, I, I wish that it wasn't a pandemic because, oh my gosh, like if we would have got to go for homecoming, I mean, it would have been insane. And, you know, just, just going to those games. So, um, yeah, I, I'm, I love being able to support them now. And I, I mean, I've always supported them, but I love being able to support them, you know, with how much success that they're having and, you know, coach Allen, like that was really time put in, you know, to that program. And, um, I wouldn't say this was like a make or break year for him. Cause you know, I think, like I said, I think they were, you know, pretty decent, but with him having such a successful season and then with all of the, um, you know, kind of, principles and and morals and stuff like that that he really instills in those guys that you kind of just see um you know it, it, it's it's working and it's coming to fruitation for him and for them and I, I love to see that especially you know just as an athlete and, and knowing still knowing some of those guys you know getting that success is is huge so I love I love to see that for them and um yeah hopefully they can they can win out the rest of the season and then you know who knows they might get another chance at Ohio State we'll see <laughs> Now, what would you make of the basketball culture at the prep level in Texas? Uh, I know it's a big football school. Their state championships are played at AT&T Stadium, formerly Cowboy Stadium. They get some high-level TV exposure. I think one of the Fox, I think a Fox Sports affiliate down there broadcasts all the games. I know Minnesota is a hotbed for basketball, or at least it has been in the last 
10, 15 years. You know, Tia Albert was a part of that movement. So her graduating class, her AAU team, phenomenal athletes. And they're all doing big things in their own way now. But in Texas, what is the attitude like in regards to women's hoops? Um, it is like a big football state, but quite frankly, especially just in the DFW, I mean, the talent level is pretty insane. Um, I mean, just naming girls that I've played against that are in the league now, um, Kennedy Carter, um, Ariel Atkins, um, Lauren Cox, um, and that's uh, Brooke McCarty. Um, and that's just to name a few girls that, I mean, oh, Mariah Jefferson, um, you know, those are girls that I grew up playing with and against and, you know, they're, you know, in the WNBA now and they're super successful. And that just kind of goes to show that level of talent and, um, you know, that comes out of the DFW. And, you know, like I said, those are kids, those are all kids except for Brooke McCarty. She's more, she's from further, like kind of near Houston, but, um, you know, those are big names. Kenny Carter is one of the biggest names, you know, especially one of the biggest newcomer names um, in the league right now. And, you know, we played against each other several times growing up. So just, you know, having that level of talent coming out of this area obviously brings people to this area and they, you know, they, they come here to recruit and, and to and grab girls. So, um, you know, the, the, the girls hoops level in, in the DFW is, is pretty high, or at least it was, you know, and, with my class and you know a few classes below me and above me but um I will say I feel like the the there I feel like there's been a little bit of a drop off just as far as like I'm not sure if it's necessarily talent or just like size kind of too or I'm not sure what it is but and even on the on the men's side too like I just feel like like when the, the guys team like for my high school and even my team like it was just a lot harder to win games it seemed and the guys were a lot bigger and the girls were a lot bigger. And now, I mean, I hardly see six, five kids, you know, that are, you know, at least girls, girl players. And same for guys, like a lot of the guys, men's basketball teams, at least in this area, I mean, the tallest kids is like six, two, six, three. And I'm like, you know, I'm used to seeing, you know, six, 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 seven guys, you know, um, at least one or two on the team. So um, it's just, it's been a little bit of a drop off in that sense, but um you know, as far as women's hoops goes in the area, I think it's, I think it, the, the level is really high. Um, and I, I still think there's a lot of talent coming out of at least this DFW area, but honestly, Texas is so big in general. I mean, um, you know, it's kind of, <laughs> it's kind of hard to limit it to one area. Right. Uh, like going from Houston to Dallas is the same as traversing several States. Like if you were to go the same distance, I think I live in the twin cities much different story. People kind of forget how big Texas is an area. Uh, and then of course, if you go back in the day too, Tamika Catchings grew up mm -hmm. in the state, uh, Cheryl Swoops, Texas Tech, yep. and you know, Brittany Griner. I don't know if she grew up in Texas, but you know, went to Baylor. Uh, so yeah, they're out there. <laughs> Definitely. Now, what do you make of your playing career at Indiana? I understand you dealt with some injuries and then you went to UTA to give it another go. You know, that didn't work out. Uh, but what would you say took place in Indiana? How did it mesh with the expectations you had? And 
what did you learn from that experience where you went from an athlete who got a lot of playing time, you set school block records at North Corley that I understand still hold to this day and you get a much different vibe at Indiana and it's not necessarily because of your talent or lack thereof, just things played out the way they did. But as an athlete going from one end of the spectrum to the other, how did you handle that? Oh, it was extremely hard. Um, it was hum- it was definitely humbling. Um, and I'm not like a super cocky player at all. I never have been, but you know, I am somewhat confident in my ability. Um, and all that was, was definitely shot um, going into my freshman year, just because I felt like, you know, I was so used to, to feeling like, yeah, I was, I was one, like, like I said, I was one of the best out of, out of my state, out of my class. And, you know, obviously was, was good enough to play in the big 10 or at least good enough to get recruited to play in the big 10. And, you know, like you said, going from being that star player to, to not even, you know, being thought about, it was, it was definitely tough. Um, But for me, the learning experience just kind of was like, it came down to my decision-making as far as deciding to go there because there were a lot of things kind of in the, in the background that I didn't really investigate or didn't necessarily give like a super hard thought to. Um, and it's cause I, I think I kind of just kind of prematurely had my mind made up and, and there was, it was kind of a hard way to, it was, it was hard to, to change my mind at that point. Um, and so, yeah, I, I think definitely if I would have really taken my time and, and, considered you know a lot of different factors and I would have made a different decision even about going to IU in general but um you know I did and it was it was a huge learning experience for me and it's it's an experience that I you know I, I carry kind of with the chip on my shoulder just in general and um and then when I decided to go to UTA it was like you said it was kind of it was kind of me proving to myself that I still could um and the the biggest reason why the UTA situation didn't work out was because um, I was the 16th girl on the team. And as you know, women's basketball programs only get 15 scholarships. And I was a, a mid-season transfer. I was a semester transfer at this, at the fall semester. And so, um, you know, they didn't have, they didn't, they, there weren't any scholarships left for me. You know, they wanted to give me one, but there just weren't any left. And so they just were like, well, yeah, you can play this first semester see how, you know, see how it works out, get in shape, you know, all that good stuff. And then in the summer, you know, right away, you'll be on scholarship. And at the time it sounded great. I just wanted to play. I wasn't really worried about, you know, anything else at that, at that time, but then actually having to deal with the financial struggles of honestly regular college students of, you know, a $10,000 semester and, you know, $2,000 books and all this type of stuff. I just was like, you know, it was, it was, I had never dealt with it before. And I was, I was very spoiled and very blessed in that sense. But at the time that wasn't something that I was ready for um, financially. And, um, you know, my dad was, was definitely willing to help me and, and wanted to help me and wanted me to stay for that reason. But it was, it seemed like too much of a, um, a sacrifice versus the reward. And so, um, you know, that's kind of why that situation happened. A lot of people, you know, they just see, you know, oh, I left and they just think, you know, oh, I guess she, she, you know, I guess it just didn't work out or, you know, she just, you know, whatever. Or like you said, maybe I, oh, maybe she just wasn't good enough or couldn't do it, but it was, it had nothing to do with basketball. It was, it was everything to do with, you know, the, the logistical side of things. So, um, 
yeah, definitely not the ideal experience, but um, that's kind of what drives me now to kind of, you know, achieve all these these things that I kind of have set in front of me um, professionally. How hard was it for you when you came to that realization that your playing career was behind you and you had your reasons and you know, every athlete gets to that point because they all talk about what they want to do after they're done or they explore other avenues like you have. But after you went to UTA and saw that, you know, there wasn't room, which is unfortunate, you know, that's a tough way to get acclimated to a new campus. But how hard was it when you came to the realization when you decided that you were going to transition away from basketball? Um, honestly, for some reason, it actually wasn't as hard. And I think it's just because I, I had kind of already accepted that fact at IU. Like I didn't, I didn't plan on when I left the team at IU, I had zero plans of going to go play after that. Um, and then I just so happened to just kind of continue to work out because, you know, that's all I knew. I didn't want to, you know, become a potato or anything. And so I just continued <laughs> to work out. Um, and me and Amber Dean actually worked out every day with each other um and some days you know the only time we could get in would, would be seven o'clock and so we would go at seven in the morning some days you know we'd have to go after class and so we'd go at five at night and it was just like it was just one of those things that we super we held each other accountable that we just wanted to whether we were playing or not we still wanted to to be in shape and you know um and this amber was actually training to go overseas and so that was her reasoning for staying in shape and for me, it was just like, well, you know, I did all this work and lost all this weight and, you know, kind of changed my body. I don't want to lose it just because I'm not playing anymore. So that was my big reason why for that. So it wasn't, it wasn't as hard for me to walk away the second time. Um, <coughs> excuse me. Um, it wasn't as hard the second time around. And now that I'm, I am around the game so much, I mean, I'm in heaven, honestly. I mean, every day, whether I'm training a kid or coaching or going to open gym and playing myself or working out, um, you know, my life pretty much does revolve around basketball and it, I love it. And I, I couldn't ask for a better situation. Um, I mean, I am, I am very hopeful and determined to, you know, become a reporter and, and get my career started in that someday, um, you know, obviously with what's going on it's you know it's a super hard market right now but I'm you know I'm still very determined to do that and you know I'm a firm believer in myself that I will um and even then when I do that it'll it'll still be you know centered around, bas centered around basketball so it's one of those things that you know even though like you said my basketball playing career might be over I put a lot of air quotes around that wink wink um but <laughs> It's, um, you know, it's, it's, I, I guess I still get to be in the gym every day. I still have, you know, I'm still able to play, you know, my, my limbs and my, my arms and my legs still work. And to me, that's, you know, that's a, a minimal blessing, but it is. And, um, you know, I, I, I just, I'm thankful for a lot of the little things when it comes to basketball um, now. And, you know, a lot of the things that I did take for granted in college and, you know, um, you know, a lot of those games and, and film sessions and stuff like that, you know, I can't get back. And so now, you know, every time I'm in the gym, I really try to take it for, you know, for, for what it is and, and take advantage of it. So. You brought up a couple of more points I wanted to touch on. Of course, Tia went through a similar path 
I don't know if the two of you ever talked about it. You were roommates, so I'm sure you had plenty of conversations, but she went through the same thing where she didn't get the experience that she thought she was signing up for when she transferred from Marquette to Indiana. And so the two of you have that shared experience. Is that something the two of you talked about? Or even now, when you look back on it, how do you think that helped the two of you knowing that you weren't alone with what you dealt with in Indiana and she wasn't alone, you know, that both of you had that common bond of trying to make sense of everything. Yeah, no, I definitely, um, I actually reached out to Tia um, when I just, when I was kind of deciding to leave UTA, I just kind of asked her her thought process as far as when she decided to leave Fresno State <clears throat> and, you know, what drove her to leave and, you know, um, how her feelings were about it. And she was very real with me. And she was just like, you know, at the end of the day, like, she was like, I love basketball, but I didn't, you know, I didn't have that same drive as everyone else, you know freshmen you know they kind of live for open gyms and film sessions and study hall and all that type of stuff and you know when you're 21 and you've done that for four years it's like you don't have that same type of like you still love the game of basketball and like it's like yeah like I just want to practice and play that's all I wanted to do and that's when I kind of knew like okay maybe college basketball might not be you know, for me anymore, because there's, there is so much that goes into it. Honestly, I mean, you do have to go to study hall and you do have to, you know, report for, you know, um, weights and, you know, all that type of stuff. And it was, it, it's a, it is, it is a job. And I say that all the time and it is. And so, um, you know, Tia kind of just explained it to me in that way. She just was like, yeah, like I, I loved it, but you know, not enough to, to put in all that work that we have been putting in for years. You know, it was just like, it was, I was over it at that point. So, um, me and Tia definitely we have we have a lot more real conversations um, you know than than superficial ones I guess you could say just because you know um, it, it's we, we share a lot of the same experiences and a lot of the times you know I'm not able to talk about it with anyone else that will genuinely understand and so it's nice to be able to have somebody that can relate and you know also you know rebuttal with you know what they went through as well. I know exactly what you mean in terms of speaking the language. I remember having a parent talk to me last winter and he was trying to get my take on whether or not his daughter should transfer to another school. And I'm going, well, I can give you my feedback, but I said, I don't follow the college game all that much and I'm not in the trenches. I've right. grown up with basketball as a fan, as a media member. I'm not in there. I don't, know the grind of practices or games or having to deal with that mm. on a daily basis, but you and Tia and your other teammates can. And it sounds like that, well, obviously that relationship is still continuing. Otherwise you wouldn't be doing the podcast together, but Correct. it's cool that the two of you are able to lean on each other as you both are making your way now as citizens, as entrepreneurs, and as you said, a basketball coach and trainer, what led you to take that up? Obviously, you still have visions of being a reporter. And who knows? Maybe we'll see you in the broadcast booth like doing a college game or WNBA game for ESPN or whatever network televises it. But now you're getting to play a part in mentoring the next generation of athletes. What led you into that capacity? Um, 
it was honestly, it was, it's kind of a, a legacy thing, I guess you could say. I mean, of course my dad coached me my whole life. And even after I, I stopped playing, you know, he still continued to coach and um, it, it kind of, I kind of ran from it for a while. Um, it was something that I, I was like, like I, I was so passionate about reporting. I didn't want to do anything else. And, you know, if I, it, it almost felt like if I didn't report and I did something else that I failed at being a reporter. And so that was my thought process, like maybe for like six, seven months until I kind of like came to grips with reality and grew up. And I just was like, okay, you know, I'm, you're 21 years old. Like you don't have to accomplish all of your career goals right now. You know, it doesn't always happen like that. So um, I initially started coaching volleyball actually. And that was my first coaching experience. And I'm actually really glad that I got, got it with volleyball first because to be quite honest with you, I, I, I like volleyball and I played volleyball, but do I know volleyball? Not completely. <laughs> Not as nowhere near as much as I know about. I mean, I know basketball front and back, you know, forwards and backwards, but volleyball, not so much. And so it was almost good for me to have that experience with not knowing as much because for me, a lot of my coaching was mostly encouragement and, you know, words of affirmation for them and being super positive and being that voice versus like, like super X's and O type, you know, analytical volleyball. So when I decided to go to basketball, it was like, okay, I know exactly what I'm talking about, you know, as far as X's and O's and everything. And then I just got that really good experience of being able to encourage these kids and being that positive voice for them. And so they, the two kind of married together perfectly. Um, and I actually started out coaching at, if there's a local gym um, in my city and it's, it's called Game On. Um, and it is, you know, they have, it's kind of it's basically rec ball it's, it's kind of like a ymca league um you know kids that are just learning to play basketball or kids that you know um they're not able to get on these crazy good like aau programs and so they but they still want to play basketball um and i had my first team my first fifth grade team and after that it was kind of just uh, it was very it was very uphill from there i, I made some incredible connections at game one um, I'm, I'm still I still am employed there and um, I mean I'm working a camp tomorrow with you know some crazy crazy talent Alexis Jones WNBA Justin Jackson and, and NBA Emmanuel Moody NBA so um, I made all I made those connections through game on and through coaching and so I kind of realized that no matter what part of the game that I, you know, am involved in, whether it be, like I said, coaching or reporting, which is my end goal, the game gives, the game is going to give you what you, what you give, get, what you give it, whether it's on the court or not. And I feel like I give so much love to the game through coaching. And I, you know, I genuinely love all my kids and everything like that. And so, you know, I, I make these really genuine connections and, you know, like I, I believe in the basketball gods. I'm, I'm one of those that thinks that they're real. And so, um, you know, me making these, these super, you know, genuine connections and friendships over, you know, this pandemic and over the summer with so many big name people, you know, in the area, it's, it's just really important for me to be able to kind of see that and realize that, you know, just because I'm not reporting right now doesn't mean that you know, I've, I've necessarily failed in the basketball sense or in the basketball world. It's like, okay, no, yeah, you're not reporting right now, but like, you know, I made 
these crazy connections literally through coaching youth basketball. And so um, it's pretty amazing and I love it. Um, it's something I'm super passionate about. I just love that feeling of watching a kid do, you know, a right-handed layup wrong 30 million times. And then, you know, when I, when I help him and walk him through it and he starts to do it right and he starts to get it. And I, you know, I feel like that's, you know, I had a lot to do a lot to do with that. So that's definitely my favorite part of just, you know, transitioning over into this coaching mentorship role that I'm in right now. On that subject, throughout your playing career, and you can take this any way you'd like, what was the most exciting moment you had as a player? And what was the most embarrassing moment? Oh my gosh, exciting moment? I would say probably um, we beat Georgia in the tournament my freshman year. And uh, Tia was always the one to dance in the middle of our circles because Tia is a phenomenal dancer. And Tia was redshirted that year, so she did not travel with us. And so um, the role kind of fell on me to be the dancer in, in, on the team. And I'm, I'm not like a crazy, crazy dancer at all, but you know, I have, I have some, some, some rhythm. And so I remember jumping in the middle of the circle and dancing um, right after we beat Georgia. And I remember it was on TV and everyone was like, oh my God, we saw you on TV dancing, like whatever, whatever it was, it was a big deal. Um, and I, that was like, that was a really big moment, like for me, just in college in, in general, like in, in a basketball player's career, being able to, to say I was on a team that, you know, won a, an NCAA game and, you know, at Notre Dame. And then of course we lost another game the following game, but that was a really big, exciting moment for me. Um, and most embarrassing, I would say this is a funny, um, we were at Western Kentucky, I believe, and we were warming up and we were doing karaoke during our warm up. And I don't remember how or, or why my feet got tangled up, but I just remember like looking down at my feet, watching myself do karaoke. And then the next thing, you know, I was flat on the floor. Um, <laughs> and it was hilarious because my teammate Darby had fell the exact same way during doing the exact same warm up, like, two days before and so like she fell doing the warm-up and it was funny and then when I fell it was funny and it, that was that was probably one of the more more embarrassing moments but like I said I laughed stuff off so I just it, I just got up and laughed it off but um it was one of those my teammates used to always say that I fell really slow like it, it would take me 10 minutes to fall and <laughs> so we kind of were laughing about that too um so yeah, I probably, probably, I have so many memories I could call on definitely, um, you know, as far as, you know, embarrassing or, you know, exciting and stuff like that. But those are the two that come to mind just immediately. <laughs> How did Tia rate your performance when you led the dance off after that first round NCAA tournament game? Oh my gosh, she loved it. And she was like, and I, I I told her, I was like, I was like, man, I was like, you like, I'm not, I'm not a dancer like you, but I felt like it was my time to shine. And so I took it. Um, yeah, I remember Tia literally hit the splits one time in the middle of our circle and it was insane. We were, we all like screamed at the top of our lungs. It was literally right before a game. So definitely a lot of good times. Well, did you know, I don't know if she told you this, there was one time where I sent her to the floor laughing. Oh, really? <laughs> 
Well, when she was up here, this was during the summer of her transfer year, and she was exploring what she wanted to do. And now she's doing a little bit of everything. So mm -hmm. I had her do some basketball commentary with me. And then I brought her to a Lynx game just to have her shadow what it was like to be a media member. And during halftime, she and another buddy of hers, she was interning for Swish Appeal, one of her AAU teammates, you know, their close friends. She went to Wisconsin. So you know, they, we were joking about uh, what it would be like when those two got to play each other in the Big Ten. Uh, mm. And we're just shooting the moon. And I brought up a story or a time where when I was a student at Minnesota, I'm a gopher. So, well, there's not a huge rivalry between Minnesota, and Indiana, but uh, UNT are all right. Mm -hmm. <laughs> but there was sort of an open gym night that the gym facilities had for students, part of a late night program for folks who weren't interested in getting drunk or doing something silly. And one of the activities was basketball. So I took part in a pickup game, but I have no athletic ability whatsoever. And so during that game, I wasn't very good and I had no aspirations of being a pro, but it's like, oh, why not? Uh, but <laughs> as soon as I mentioned it, she and her friend were trying to envision me playing pickup and they just couldn't. And the kicker was, we were just going on. I'm like, well, if you, if you couldn't picture me playing before, it's like, wait till I tell you that I uh, twisted or messed up my ankle. <laughs> in yeah. the middle of this scrimmage. So we're playing full court. I can't run. And oh. one of my old buddies says, it's kind of hard to play defense if you can't run up the floor. And Tia just hit the floor. Like that was enough. <laughs> she, I still, I'm looking at her on the floor. I'm like, great. I'm going to kill her laughing. Yeah. <laughs> Tia's a big goofball too. So I'm sure she took it way less. Oh, yes. Well, and she and I had gotten to know each other quite a bit, but you kind of know me as the broadcaster, as the interviewer, not necessarily the players. So and she said, to right, this yeah. day, I still can't see it. But uh, that was the one time I sent her to the floor. I'm guessing there were I'm guessing there are some times where you've sent her to the floor laughing, uh, but not because of lack of athleticism. Yeah, definitely. We, we've had so many moments and memories with each other laughing and, and, and goofing around. <laughs> well, and you mentioned you had several, and I, I, I don't need you to go through all of them because we only have so much time, but what are some moments with Tia that symbolized the friendship, whether it was helping you get through a difficult moment when you decided to give up playing basketball or when you got to take part in the practices or even just hanging out as roommates now as podcasts. I imagine the two of you have been through so much together. What are some moments that symbolize the friendship and how much it has grown? Oh man. Um, wow, that's kind of a, you stopped me on this one. Um, <laughs> See, I'm prepping you uh, for the time when you and Tia bring this up in your podcast so you'll be ready. That right. would be <laughs> I'd rather have you freeze up on my podcast than on your own. <laughs> right. <laughs> but, no, but take your time. Um, yeah. Um, well, I'd say, um, honestly, what was, was kind of like a big moment for, not like a huge moment, but it was kind of like a, a rekindle moment for both of us 
Um, my birthday was in August, and I remember I invited Tia and, and her boyfriend to um, to come to come to brunch with me and my friends, and you know we were gonna go out and have a good time. And she she ended up coming out, and it was really fun. And so when her birthday came around just a few weeks ago, um, I was like, okay, yeah, she came out for my birthday. Like I'm definitely going out for hers, and you know. In, in that sense. And so she ended up kind of having like a whole weekend of, of festivities and um, just like being back in, in that like space with her and like, you know, having fun and, you know, drinking and carrying on and, and you know, dancing and all that type of stuff. It was, it was very reminiscent of college. And so having that, you know, just kind of having that like almost nostalgic feeling of like, wow, like, you know, here we are, like I said, three, four years later after, you know, going our separate ways from IU to still being connected, still being close enough to where we, you know, can go out and party and, and have fun and carry on together. It was like, you know, it, it kind of, you know, it kind of just reassured me of like kind of how you mentioned just like those relationships and those, that bond that we had and it was, and that we we still do have. And I don't take stuff like that for, for granted. Um, there are a lot of teammates that I, that I had who I don't speak to and I, I don't I don't care to speak to them. We don't follow, we don't, you know what I mean? We don't connect and that's just, you know, we play we play together and that's just what it was. But, you know, so when I have teammates like Tia and Taishi and Kim and Amanda and, you know, Lex who I still talk to, you know, those those relationships really matter to me and I know they matter, you know, on both sides. So, um, you know, just, I guess, just kind of realizing that our relationship went much deeper than the surface of just being teammates. Um, you know, kind of, kind of, you know, warmed my heart a, a little bit. You you can't tell her this though, because I'll sound super soft and sentimental, so you can't tell her. But <laughs> I'm sure she would say the same about you. Otherwise, she wouldn't have asked you to come on her podcast. <laughs> yeah, I think you're right. Well, and that's something because I've brought a lot of former athletes on, and that's something I've stressed as we talk about mental health and the true impact. Yes, I'm sure it would be fun to win tournaments and get all the pomp and circumstance that comes with it. But at some point, no one's going to remember how many points you scored, your win-loss record, unless you're UConn. Yeah. Uh, but what you will remember is the relationships, the friendships, those moments that you wouldn't have had without it. So while folks like me kind of move on to the next season or the next crop of athletes, you're always are going to have those times where, like you said, getting to celebrate a pair of birthdays and relive the days like you were in college and learning in those moments that your friendship still holds, even though you went separate ways for a while, you came back and it's clear the two of you have a strong friendship that I picked up on. And I don't care if you sound soft. I'm glad you brought that up because I hope more people who follow college sports understand that's the real takeaway. Yeah. The trophies are nice. The awards are nice, but it doesn't hold the candle to having a drink and having a dance and celebrating birthdays, getting a chance to meet or bond with your extended family. Or as Mr. Feeney once said, you don't have to be blood to be family. And I think you and Tia are a perfect example of that. Absolutely, for sure. There are a couple more things I wanted to get to. On the broadcasting side, do you have any role models or aspirations there? We spoke about 
your role models as a player, but now that you have this commitment and this desire to get a career in media as a reporter or broadcaster, who are some of the people in the industry that inspire you to join the ranks? Mm-hmm. Um, I do. I have to hop off in like five minutes. Okay. Um, well, all right. Yeah. I was going to say that's perfect. Um, perfect segue. Um, but definitely Maria Taylor is like, I mean, superwoman to me. Um, <laughs> she, and I think I just look up to her so much, um, not only for her being a black woman, but for her just, I mean, when I say she dominates in whatever it is that she covers, I mean, NCAA basketball, college game day football. She's now doing NFL football, Monday night games, um, NBA, um, what is it? Um, Countdown. Yeah, NBA countdown. Thank you. Um, You know, and those are so many different like mediums and different sports and and athletes and expertise that you really have to have. And so, oh my gosh, I I I mean, if there's one person like who I genuinely idolize, definitely Maria. Um, And she's so good at what she does. I mean, she's she's literally a, a a superstar and it inspires me because even though I do love basketball and that, that is my main thing that I would like to cover. I also really like football and would also, I would, I would be open to covering football as well. And so watching her, you know, as a woman in that space dominate and, and be respected, you know, by those coaches and, and in those post-game interviews, you know, they, they have, they're having like a, a, you know, a really good relationship and, and, you know, she's getting those good answers and good questions from those guys. Um, it's so huge. And then also, um, I always butcher her name, Ro- Rosalind Gold. Oh, Roz Goldamude. Yep. There. Thank you. Cause I was going to butcher it. Um, she's amazing as well. And I look up to her a lot too, even when she was first starting out just with the Warriors and then she kind of moved over to doing, you know, more NBA TNT and now she's doing first take and, and PAC 12 women's basketball stuff. So she's another one who I just, culturally she's just very much herself and you know she doesn't tone down you know any of her culture or you know um her outfits or anything you know as as women you know a lot of the times they you know they they focus on those type of things and they harp on it because you know some people don't have anything else to talk about and so watching her just being very unapologetically her um and doing it amazingly I, I I I definitely um look up to her in that sense as well so Definitely those two are like two that I, you know, I, I, I definitely, um, I love and Taylor Rooks would probably be the last one who I really love. And I, I, I think I love her specifically because I remember watching her in the gym at, at assembly hall, like interviewing Tom Crean after the games. Cause she did, I, at least I think she started with the big 10, but I remember, that's why I remember seeing her. Um, and so watching her, go from working with the Big Ten to now her having, you know, her, her Bleacher Report show and, um, you know, interviewing a lot of the top guys in the league. Um, and then, like I said, culturally too, she, she's, she gives a lot of good interviews, not only just basketball, but about culture and, you know, my, maybe politics here and there and um, stuff like that. So yeah, definitely three, three like super women that I'm Definitely, I'm, I'm looking forward to shaking their hand one day and letting them know that, you know, they inspired me from from now up until, you know, I get to their, that point, hopefully. 
maybe one day you'll join the ranks and be one of those role models. And before we go, I want to leave you with this, Danielle, with everything you've experienced so far as an athlete, navigating this pandemic, trying to make sense of this unpredictable time you know, throughout your life experience, what would you tell a younger version of yourself who was just starting out, figuring out her place in the world? If you had a chance to go back and meet her, what would you say? Oh my gosh, I love that question. Um, I would tell her to, I would tell her to, to put her grind first and whatever that grind is, whatever whether it's on the court, whether it's off the court, whether it's in the classroom, whether it's in the, the, the media booth, um, to put that first and to not let, you know, any outside sources or people or opinions, you know, discourage her from putting that first, you know what I mean? And um, that a lot, of, I think just growing up a lot of the times, you know, it was, it was easy for me to get distracted and kind of, um, you know, take my eye off the prize because, you know, uh, whatever it may be, you know, friends or, or whatever that was distracting me. But, um, you know, if I think if I just would have had just a little bit more of like a focus and a, um, a focus and just like kind of a sense of, okay, you, you kind of have to, this, this is, this is the part where you grind so that when you get here that, you know, it's easy. Um, Cause I, it was, it was opposite for me. It was like, you know, I, I, I did work hard in some sense, but it was like, I had to do the hard work after the fact, not before the fact. And so I would definitely go back and tell myself like, you know, okay, here's the cheat code girl, like make it a little easier on yourself, do the hard work now so that you can reap the benefits later instead of, you know, kind of coasting early and then getting to the, the big test. And then you're like, you know, cramming or whatever, you know, whatever the case is. So, um, yeah, I would definitely give myself that piece of advice for sure. And since you are an aspiring broadcaster, if anyone maybe has an offer or an opening, or if anyone wants to get to know you a little better, where can they find you? Um, I My Instagram is definitely where I'm most active. Um, DanielleWilliams.tv on Instagram. Um, I'm also super active on Twitter. I love Twitter. Um, and that one is Danielle Will TV. Um, that'll be my handle on, on Instagram and Twitter. Um, yeah, and I, I'm definitely like, like you said, I, I'm more inspired than ever to, to get to that point as far as, you know, reaching my goals um, in, a, in a reporting job standpoint. And I mean, honestly, even you've inspired me, you know what I mean? Just to, to keep going and, um, you know, just to, that that it's 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 attainable it's not something that's just super like you know a lot of the times you know those jobs that are you know more glamorous and when you're on tv and stuff like that it seems so far-fetched but um you know just seeing seeing real people that you know me and you just had a almost two hour conversation almost two hour conversation that was very real you know what i mean and so for us you know just to to speak like this and for it to be super organic and and very genuine um it makes it it makes it feel real for me to be able to to achieve that so i definitely i appreciate you for that um for that inspiration but um yeah it definitely made, made me that much hungrier to go get it so 
Danielle, if your goal was to make me blush, uh, you may have succeeded. <laughs> well, good. It, but yes, it is a grind. And I know I've had a lot of difficulties and obstacles along the way. I don't know what the future is going to look like. I don't think any of us do, especially in a business where it seems like who you know matters more than what you know, which can be frustrating at times. But they keep mm -hmm. saying more reps and you know don't be afraid to build your own brand like you're doing with the unfinished business podcast i'd ask for a preview but you and tia kind of cover current events so i think the best way was just to you know follow what is being talked about on sports center or all the other sports programs but you and tia are building this thing together i know you and i have talked about finding a way to have me come on at some sort of crossover absolutely we'd have to do it virtually i think until it's safe to travel but yeah, I've got a few friends in Dallas, so I wouldn't mind when it's safe to make that distance. But yeah, you just got to keep you just got to keep pushing and keep networking. That's what I've done in the high school ranks, just getting to know a lot of coaches, parents and players and building those personal relationships. So I really appreciate when you said this felt genuine. I don't go in with any expectations and there's always a little nervousness when I do these because you never know what's going to happen. There's no script. I'm doing this on the fly. Right. And you and I haven't really had this kind of conversation before, but I can tell yeah. you and I, we came from different paths in basketball, but we speak the language and exactly, I, yeah. we have to do this again. Definitely. I would love to do a crossover with Tia just to see what kind of, uh, friendship, how strong that is. It would probably be something along the lines of the newlywed game or some sort of match game because the, the two of you, <laughs> I don't want to stomp on your unfinished business brand, but I think that would be a lot of fun uh, to have us join forces at some point. That would be so fun. It would definitely, it, it would bring like a different side to the podcast. And I'm, like I said, I'm all about laughing and having a good time. So I would love that. Oh, we'll, we'll make sure we get some laughs in there. Well, Danielle, thanks for coming on. And thanks for sharing so many parts about yourself from the mental health struggles you endured to this journey of being an athlete to a coach and now an aspiring broadcaster. You know, who knows, maybe this conversation will reach out and connect and resonate with someone else. Yeah, and that's, that's, that's the biggest thing for me. That's the goal at the end of the day is to, you know, help, help the, next, the next generation, the younger generation, the next person. So. Yeah, thank you again for having me. I really, I enjoyed myself. Like I said, I did not, like you said, you didn't have expectations. I wasn't sure what to expect either, but I'm super glad that we could have such a genuine, very genuine, organic conversation. Um, and, you know, now we, we have this face to, sort of face-to-face -face connection. <laughs> well, um, well, you know what this does? This inspires me to have a real face-to-face -face meeting with you yeah. at some point. So I, I might have to schedule a trip to DFW now. <laughs> yeah, we're definitely going to have to get you down here. I'll show you all the best barbecue and taco spots. I, know, uh, so. I got a little taste of it, but yeah, it's, it sounds like, okay, if you have any tips on too, so it sounds like I have some folks. So I can get lodging set up and, <laughs> and right. yes, the food. I, I remember last time I was in Dallas, the portions are ginormous. <laughs> Definitely. And I'm the biggest foodie. So I mean, that's, Oh, that's, you and I, Oh, you and I, that should be, you know what, maybe that's how you and I can collaborate. You, you show me around, you show me the cuisine. <laughs> yeah. You and Tia have the sports blog. You and I can have the food podcast when I traveled out there. Hey, we just go and eat good food. I'm with that. <laughs> <laughs> well, I'm thanks. 
Thanks again, Danielle. Best of luck to you as you continue your career ambition. And I certainly hope you and I do have that face-to-face -face meeting because I think you know you and I would love it just as much as how you and Tia every time you get together. I already have a greater respect for you. Not that I didn't, but this conversation right. and how open and how willing you were to share yourself. I got to give you props. And I'm like, yep, I'm glad to have you as a friend in my network. So yeah, it's a good thing you went to Indiana and wrote it out because as I said before, you wouldn't have met Tia. I wouldn't have met you. And exactly. we maybe, be talking about now. right. <laughs> who, if you went to USC or a school in Texas, maybe it might've worked out, but you and I never would have met. So for that, yeah. I'm glad we got this moment and I'm looking forward to uh, spending many more together. Definitely. Thank you so much, Mike. <laughs> Thanks again, Danielle. You can listen and watch her on the Unfinished Business podcast on the Unfinished Business YouTube channel. And don't forget to check out her articles on their website, part of the Rate My College Coaches Network. And if you want to be a guest on a future episode of this podcast, just hit me up on Twitter or Instagram at TheMikePedon or by email tsbtelevision at gmail.com. All you need is a good story and we're happy to share it. So until next time, thanks for watching. If you'd like to support TSB television programming, check us out on Patreon, PayPal, or Cash App. And thanks for watching Mic'd Up Sports, the home game.